welcome everybody to the All About Windows Phone podcast, Insight 65, recording this on Tuesday the 4th of June 2013. This isn't Ewan Spence, this is Steve Litchfield standing in again, not because Ewan is in Sweden on Eurovision a duty, but because we're having problems sorting out his audio. So until Ewan fixes his piece of string in his paper cup, we're going to <laughs> stick with this and hopefully have Ewan back on the podcast next week. But I do have with me Mr. Rafe Blandford. Yes, hello. Really big thank you, uh, Steve, for stepping in at short notice. But we got some very positive feedback, Steve, when you were last on the podcast. So I'm hoping you're going to stick around and appear on the Windows Phone one uh, a little more often because actually you've been contributing more stories onto the site for Windows Phone. I think we can probably see more of that in the future as well. I do hope so. I mean, the Symbian scene, obviously, I, I'm a major contributor to All About Symbian, and that scene is gradually winding down. I'm finding it harder and harder to find new apps to write about now. Um, so it, it's a natural process. I'll be spending more time on Windows Phone, and as a part of that, I'll be writing more stories, reviewing more apps, and hopefully contributing on the podcast more often. So, yes. Excellent. Look forward to it. Um, and for the time being, enjoy Steve's dulcet tones on this particular episode. Okay, well, I, I imagine Rafe will be doing most of the talking, but let, let's kick off with some, some market share data. You've gone to town, Rafe, with your spreadsheets and your tables with the new Kantar data. Um, would you like people can read the full story on the site, but maybe you could just summarize it for us now? Yeah, I mean, this is, we keep track of the monthly data that's released by Kantar World Panel. They do this by going out and interviewing people and doing surveys. And the actual market share data that they provide is... Uh, a share of sales in the preceding 12 weeks so it's a bit like a three-month moving average so it's actually quite a helpful bit of data to get because it's a bit smoother than just month-to-month sales and you know it's done with a the same methodology each month and so it's actually one of the ways you can keep a pretty close eye on smartphone sales one of the nice things is they break it down into different countries now kind of the general pattern is still that windows phone is very much in third place um, it's probably fair to say it's established that third place now, which I guess is a change from you know, certainly last year. But that's been a pattern since the beginning of this year. It's just a few things I wanted to pick out this month. Uh, for example, Windows Phone market share uh, in the 12 weeks leading up to the end of April in the UK was 8.4%. That's actually starting to look quite healthy, isn't it, Steve? Well, I did mention, I think maybe either the last time I was on the podcast or the previous time, that there's this user story from this data point from one of my relatives in a secondary school saying that all his classmates wanted to get Windows phones. So I don't know whether this, this statistic you're bringing out is relevant to the, the top end of the market, but certainly at the bottom end of the market, the 520 and the 620, and of course, the, you know, the older 710, I think that they're a major, major contributing factor. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you look at the UK market in particular, uh, it's Windows Phone 8 that's really had this positive impact. If you, you know, go back a year, you know, it was 4%. And actually, a lot of that growth has come in the, you know, the last you know, four or five months since the launch of Windows Phone 8. I mean, if you go back to sort of November time, it was around the 5% mark. And so obviously, you know, it's, it's grown by 3.4%. You know, I mean, these are all relatively small numbers, but this is market share of the overall smartphone market. And I think you're right. You mentioned the 620 there that's definitely going to have had an impact. It's been quite heavily pushed here in the UK. Um, the other devices that are sort of these lower cost ones that come in, the 520 and 720, they're actually late enough that they don't really have an impact on these numbers. They really only went on sale in a meaningful way at the beginning of May. They may have just crept into some of this April data, but given that's you know probably a couple of weeks at, month, at most over a 12-week period, we'll only really start to see the impact in the next set or even the set after that and sort of the June figures in two months time. So 
I suspect we might actually see a continued creeping up of this growth because one of the, the patterns here in smartphones recently has been a lot of the growth is driven by sales at the low end of the market. You know, devices that cost $150 or less, you know, the people listening to this podcast probably have more expensive devices and people are most interested in the shiny new toys at the high end. But not surprisingly, lower cost devices sell more and so actually have more to do with market share, which is one of the reasons that Android remains you know, so completely dominant. I mean, if you look at pretty much any of the markets, you'll see that Android is in a leading position, uh, followed by iPhone. But I think it was noticeable that there's just a few markets where you can see the gap between Windows Phone and iOS actually coming down a bit. So, for example, if you look at uh, Italy, it's about 10% for Windows Phone, about 16% for iPhone. Uh, in the UK, it's sort of 8 and 26%. Now, it's obviously not close to challenging for second position, but given we spent so long talking about Windows Phone kind of establishing third position, the fact it's starting to get within shouting different distance, I think is significant. So for me, it means that the challenge for Windows Phone as a platform over the next month is starting to move away from that, you know, establish itself in third position. I think it's done that. It's beaten BlackBerry. Now, there is a chance that BlackBerry will come back. A lot depends on you know, what they do with BlackBerry 10. But it's not that impossible to foresee a situation where Windows Phone, in certain markets at least, gets within shouting distance of iOS. And I think compared to the position that Windows Phone was in a year ago, that's really quite remarkable. And not a lot of people would have suspected that. And so there's been a lot of kind of discussion, comment recently that Windows Phone hasn't really worked for Nokia or it hasn't really got going. Uh, And I think we've said as much ourselves on the podcast in the past, you know, that the actual growth has been disappointing. There's just the beginning of the size now that the momentum is starting to pick up. And a lot of that is driven by the lower cost devices from Nokia, the 520, the 720. You can look at the situation in the US, for example, it's the same thing. You know, the US market share has grown in the last year from 3.8% to 5.6%. And just after the end of these data the 521 was going on sale with t-mobile you've got the 928 going on sale with verizon and you've got the 925 coming in on in on t-mobile in due course so there's a you know more momentum with devices so despite the fact that some of this growth will be driven by the you know rise of the low cost devices there's probably more on the way so i think it's uh worth watching and I think people might be pleasantly surprised by Windows Phone's performance in the, the second half of the year. I mean, Steve, I know you've been one who sort of said it's taken a long while to get going. Do you think there's sort of just a sign now that it's it, it's moving out of that just being a couple of percent market share and moving towards double figures now? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I appreciate all the figures. And obviously, we have to take the long-term view here. It does take months and quarters and years to build up these things and nothing happens overnight um i was struck actually i mean you talk about blackberry there being in um, fourth position now and uh, wondering whether blackberry can make a resurgence i was i've got the blackberry q10 here at the moment running blackberry os 10 and i had the z10 in for review as well and it's, it strikes me just playing with blackberry os 10 how immature it is in, in terms of the number of glitches the number of things that are missing in exactly the same position exactly the same even even this version of skype for the q10 is quote a preview edition <laughs> there are so many parallels uh, that the blackberry os 10 is about where windows phone, phone was about a year ago so you could argue that uh, windows phone is a year ahead of blackberry os 10 and by that token i would guess that windows phone will carry on its momentum and it'll take blackberry a while if they survive 
to, to mount a, a challenge. But yes, uh, but certainly it's, uh, it's, it's looking pretty good. The 520, you say, was not mentioned in that, that quarter's results, um, which is actually quite, quite astonishing. The 520, I think, is going to do very well given the current pricing. And of course, the 620 is still being pushed. It's still at a very good price and still going to do very well. We've got the 925, which is about to, I think, become the probably the best seller for Nokia. It's only at the high end and do very, very well indeed. And this is not counting the big flagship imaging phone which we're all expecting in a couple of months time so yeah i'm pretty optimistic optimistic about windows phone right now yeah that's absolutely right that the 520 and the 521 i mean it's already a big seller in india it's probably the most popular windows phone being sold there the 521 seems to be doing pretty well in the states we haven't got any real data on that yet but it's been selling out and it seems to have caught quite a bit of media imagination which is unusual for a low-end device i think what you're saying about blackberry there is, is spot on you know whether it's a year ago or more uh, difficult to say i mean it's sort of i i feel it's halfway between windows phone 7 and 7.5 so maybe more like 18 months or something like that uh, i will say i think the q10 is a fantastic bit of hardware i mean you've always been a fan of qwerty keyboards steve um, what yeah. do you make of the q10's actual hardware leaving the software issue aside uh, this is, of course, the BlackBerry podcast, so I'm allowed to do <laughs> uh, The Q10's hardware is is sumptuous. It's really solidly built. Looks beautiful, feels beautiful. Um, if, only the so- if only the software was as reliable, I think it would probably be a real, real challenge. As it is, it's a device, if they let me, I want to hang on to this Q10 for a while because I think BlackBerry OS 10.2 will basically fix it up, maybe in the same way that Windows 7.5, Phone 7.5 was. And I guess then we're looking at three or four months into the future when they basically become equivalent to windows phone 8 but by then how far will the rest of the market have moved but uh, yeah certainly the q10 is, is wonderful hardware um probably equivalent to nokia at its best yeah i think that's the big question for for blackberry at least from my point of view is that they've got to do both the software and the hardware and they just don't quite have the same sort of momentum skill set as the combined microsoft nokia i mean it's one of the reasons i think microsoft and nokia were relatively smart to ally with each other because you know apart they may not have been able to do it together they're stronger uh, we'll have to wait and see because there's still a lot of kind of love for blackberry particularly from messaging people and i think the q10 in particular um, has the potential to sell well because it doesn't have a lot of competition in that qwerty space uh, it is a pretty expensive device and so um, just as it has been for windows phone the trick for blackberry will be to get blackberry 10 running on those cheaper devices and that remains very much a kind of unanswered discussion we've had the although Ray, series although yes Although the Q10, it is very expensive SIM free, and I think I've, people have said, oh, £520 haven't got a chance, but they're completely ignoring the fact that 99.9% of all people buying Q10s will be the business sort who want to use it as a professional tool, and they will absolutely be buying it on contract for the text and the minutes and the data, which means that they'll be picking up a free Q10 on their normal £35 a month contract. Uh, that's up to. absolutely fair point. Um, I think it's just, it will be competing against devices like the 920 and the iPhone, uh, and that makes it difficult. It's not going to be able to compete against devices like the 620 or the 520. But but you're right, you know, the business end of the market perhaps is less cost-conscious, at least at the high end. There is yeah. an argument to be said that, you know, the equipping employees with thousands of devices, and um, one of the advantages Windows Phone does actually have over bo- both iOS and, and BlackBerry is the range of devices that Nokia produce. But if you want to have a look at that Kanto uh, World Panel data, we've linked to it on the site, and we've done a summary chart so you can actually see how it's changed over the months. And uh, I guess the one thing to you know finish off with there is if you look at the 
average for the EU5, which is kind of the five biggest markets in Europe, you're seeing that the market share has got to 6.7%. So that's 7%. So that means roughly that seven out of every hundred smartphones sold being being sold in Europe are powered by a Windows phone. Now it pales into significance against Android and even against iOS X. Um, but it's doing much better. I don't know why I called it iOS X then. I'm, I think I'm previewing <laughs> a topic that's coming up later in the podcast. But uh, there we go. That's that. I think we'll move on to some news bites now, Steve, and we perhaps should start with a story that I was hinting at just then. Uh, well, yes, uh, the Windows Phone app for the desktop, and that by desktop I mean a Windows PC, um, Windows 7 or Windows 8, or indeed Mac um, OS 10, um, Mountain Lion and Lion, all updated, um, all with uh, synchronization improvements. Um, I, I have to say, Rafe, I have to completely disclaim myself here. My Mac runs Snow Leopard, and I refuse to update it because uh, Lion made, made a mess of a lot of things. And the, this new Windows Phone um, desktop app um, for the Mac does not run on Snow Leopard, which is a real, real pain. And means I have to do everything via either booting up a Windows 7 PC or actually emailing myself stuff just to get it from, get the six inches from my phone to my Mac. But uh, there we go. So what have you installed and what are the differences? What are the improvements here? Well, the improvements here are really around the synchronizations you were talking about there. The kind of the previous version of the desktop app was really around getting stuff from iTunes on Windows onto your phone. It's a bit more flexible about the destinations it will sync from so now you can choose a folder for your music and it also does this for podcasts as well so actually the big change here really is it makes it easier to get podcasts onto your phone from a, a windows pc probably worth mentioning there's actually three of these sync apps and ones that we refer to the windows desktop app one's the uh, mac app which is steve suggests there has kind of limited availability on the older versions of the operating it's a bit unfortunate there especially as mtp which is the protocol that uh, Windows Phone 8 uses for connecting over USB is, uh, I think, a bit crungy on the Mac. Is that a fair to say, Steve? Because I know you use it on Android devices as well, and you were saying it's a bit hit and miss. Yeah, there's an, uh, an app called Android File Transfer, which I believe uses that, and it's basically the interface that people use to get uh, MTP devices hooked into the Mac, or something what I use. And it, it works on about 60% of Android devices and doesn't work on 40, and there's no reason or, or why uh, it works or doesn't work, and certainly the Windows Phone doesn't work that way. So it's not a showstopper for me, and I do have the luxury of uh, several different desktops running different OSs. I can <laughs> understand it might be a bit annoying if you've got an older Mac and a Windows Phone and trying to tie the two together. But you, then again, you might think, well, is, is someone with an older Mac and in the Apple universe, are they actually likely to be Windows Phone customers in the first place? So I guess maybe I really am quite unusual here. Yeah, I think the, it's the crossover there may be limited probably in the same way that older pc owners might not necessarily have a, a pc that can run the latest version of itunes really well i mean itunes on windows pc does to, tend to be a yeah. bit of resource hog um the other app that i was referring to is actually the uh, windows 8 or app which is known as the windows phone app for windows 8 it all gets rather confusing but actually it's a metro or modern ui style app that's the one that runs in full screen in the kind of the new ui style and that's also been updated it's not quite as feature rich as the desktop app but it has added in support for document management making it easier to transfer documents over to your phone actually i have to admit i don't really use any of those apps i do have the desktop one installed but if i'm uh, copying stuff across onto my windows phone i tend to just use drag and drop from windows explorer and if i am using uh, music sync which I, I do use i actually use a third party app and there's a number that i've tried out 
Uh, there's Media Monk in there's the Songbird, and it'll actually work with any app that supports MTP transfer. That's multimedia transfer protocol. It's kind of a Microsoft proprietary format rather than being mounting on the standard USB mass storage. But the one I've kind of uh, come to rely on is actually the Nokia Music Player. It's uh, an app that Nokia made originally when it was for the Symbian devices, when it was doing a full-on music service, and actually it still is because it applies to the Series 40 devices. Um, and actually it's a remarkably stable app for handling MTP syncs and transfers and that kind of thing. I was actually recommended it by uh, a Nokia staff member. I was a bit sceptical, but tried that, and they were absolutely right. It does work very well, especially when you've got a very large music collection where sometimes the other apps can fall over. The other app that you can use is actually Windows Media Player built into almost all Windows PCs, and that seems to work fine too. But I think it's kind of a a good example of how things have moved on, that actually people are less concerned about these desktop sync apps because there's so many more ways to get stuff onto your phone. Steve talked about a couple there with email, uh, but there's a certain amount you can Bluetooth across now. And also, of course, the cloud storage means there's kind of less being stored on the phone, if you like. I think there's still this case of getting multimedia across music and video, really the big ones, and then getting the photos off your phone, maybe. Um, but Steve, I mean, compared to a few years ago, do you want to sync your phone as much as you used to? Is this an important thing for you? Um, I find that nearly all syncing these days is to the cloud, to cloud services, to SkyDrive or Google Drive or Google um, PIM services. Uh, even, even from my Symbian phones, nearly all the syncing is, is with the cloud and cloud services these days. It's very, very rare I do any actual synchronization of any kind with any desktop. And as you say, the just matter of moving a bit of media around every now and then, and that is it. And that, if you said to me five years ago that we'd be in that situation, we wouldn't be doing you know, lo- local synchronization backwards and forwards, I'd have laughed at you because at that time I was synchronizing with the Nokia suite on Windows and I was synchronizing with the the Mac through iSync um, on, on the Mac. And that, that worked very well, but we seem to have moved away from that and I don't really miss it. Yes, it's the same for me. I think the rise of web services, particularly with regard to context and calendar, whether that's Google, Outlook, Exchange or something else, means that kind of that need to sync on a, a daily or a weekly basis has definitely gone away. And even for the kind of multimedia element, there's now so many more services that are, are streaming-based, Nokia Music being one of them, but there's plenty of other services uh, you know, video consumption via YouTube or something like that means this this need has gone away. I can't say I'm sad to see it go either. It's a lot more convenient having everything just doing it without having to think about it. However, that said, I don't think there's an excuse for these apps to underperform. And for, for me, you know, Microsoft hasn't really do, done a good enough job on these companion apps. You know, Steve's support on the Mac side is a good example. And on the Windows side, it just doesn't quite feel solid enough. Uh, it's good that I think, you know, integrating with iTunes tries to make for a nice experience there but compared to the Zoom desktop client where you had wireless sync over Wi-Fi that's a feature I certainly miss Um, and I did actually send music back and forth a bit more often but honestly for me there's more important priorities now but uh, I think Microsoft could probably just pay a little bit more attention to these apps and uh, maybe look at them again. Now uh, I think next news bite we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Tiger Woods, Steve, because you've been playing this golf game and you're an expert on golf games. So I thought we'd get you to share your opinion on whether you thought this was a, a good implementation. This is a, a recently released Nokia Lumia exclusive Xbox title. Yeah, well, I did mention originally to Rafe that I'd been playing this game for 23 years 
And uh, I think you, ch- you changed my news post because you're t- thinking it was a typo. But in actual fact, I have. And if I'll, exp- <laughs> I'll explain. Now, admittedly, I haven't been playing under the name Tiger Woods 12 because Tiger Woods wasn't playing golf 23 years ago. But this is um, EA's flagship golf title, of course. And it was launched as PGA Tour Golf back in 1990. And I was one of the first people to play it and I loved it ever since. And I've been playing it off and on, say, for over two decades at some point, they rebranded it as Tiger Woods, but it's essentially the same game. Um, they even kept the same three-click mechanism for firing off your shot for many years, and then they've now changed it kind of an analog system where you swipe down the screen and swipe up again. But essentially, it's the same game. Um, the graphics have improved, obviously. The, the cut scenes, the animations, the, the, the resolution of the golf animations, but the, the core of deciding on uh, which, which club, how hard it it within a not to 100%, bearing in mind wind direction, ball lie, where do you aim, and um, where do you pitch the ball, how, how far is it going to bounce depending on the lie that it lands in. There's a, a huge number of factors, and they've had the basic gameplay perfected for, for decades now, and this really doesn't mess with that. So in a sense, there are no surprises, but in a sense, that's a very good thing. They, my one complaint really was that uh, they, haven't, they haven't knocked it out of the park in terms of quality control. Um, just playing through Tiger Woods 12, I put up some, some screenshots uh, in the review. For example, there's one of where I, my golfer is standing next to a wall, and yet the graphics on screen show him actually with his legs within the wall, within the brickwork. And there are other times when the ball just rolling along the ground, and it disappears underground for a while, and then pops up again. And these are clearly quality control issues. I get the impression that um, Electronic Arts have knocked this out to a schedule um, with limited manpower and limited quality control. It could have done with more play testing um I'm, I'm available at very cheap rates ea if you want to get in touch um but having said that there are only minor visual um quirks the basic gameplay is very solid i thoroughly enjoyed my time reviewing it you can probably tell from whatever it was a three thousand word review um and uh, yes more of the same and i should be definitely keeping this on all my windows phones and playing with it over the summer okay so there we go pretty ringing endorsement there so if you're a golf game fan i think you can probably download that, but do bear in mind it's only for Illumia titles. Probably a few people with HTC and Samsung devices grinding their teeth in the background. Presumably, Rafe, after a few months, the exclusive will wear off and this will be available uh, maybe in the autumn for HTC 8X. Yes, that's right. I mean, it seems to be about a six-month period of exclusivity on these titles, sometimes a, a little bit less. We mentioned on the last podcast how there were various titles coming out of that exclusivity period so yes the same will apply to tiger woods now i just mentioned some non-nokia windows phone devices we aren't always able to do as much of that as we like on this podcast because nokia seems to be dominating the scene not just in sales but in all the stuff it's releasing not really changing but we have got a, a leak of the hawaii ascend w2 a windows phone 8 device uh, the pictures don't really tell us very much about it but it is suspected to be a high-end windows phone device uh, so that's a contrast to the existing huawei uh, device it's again going to be available in multiple colors it's now seen pictures in red blue and yellow in terms of specifications 4.3 inch lcd ips display at 720p resolution the usual 1.5 gigahertz dual core snapdragon s well processor and a gigabyte of ram and the eight megapixel camera now the interesting thing here is usually these devices are priced pretty low it's one of the advantages huawei is able to do with their cost of manufacturing but i think it might have a bit of a tough time steve because uh, as you've noted in a recent story the samsung 80s is actually available 
uh, SIM free for £245. The Lumia 820 is similarly relatively competitively priced. And so if you're looking for uh, a low cost Windows Phone 8 device at the higher specification, you know, that's with the extra RAM and the faster processor, there's quite a few options around. And so it'll be interesting to see whether Huawei can come out with anything to make that stand out a little more than it already is. Uh, no official announcement on this. This is all unconfirmed, but it does look like uh, there should be an announcement coming sometime in the summer on this device. We expect it to be available worldwide. It's really going to be led by operator mind, just like the current Huawei device. Uh, it's available on O2 in the UK, Walmart in the US and various other countries. It's also been uh, leading a push for Windows Phone in Africa as a cheap device. Um, so we'll have to wait and see for more information on the W2. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about in this news bite roundup was uh, two higher profile releases in terms of apps this week. It's an update for Shazam for Windows Phone 8. That's the music recognition service. If you're interested in that, go and download it. It does provide better performance than Bing's built-in music recognition. Uh, has the new UI and some of the extra bits and pieces that Shazam have added to their Android and iOS apps over the recent years. It's also got unlimited free tagging links into Nokia Music and Xbox Music. So it's another arrival on Windows Phone eight in terms of you know, keeping up to date with the competing platforms i guess you could apply a similar label to adobe reader that's an official pdf reader app from the company that invented the format previously you've had to rely on a microsoft provided application which frankly wasn't very good in terms of performance and stability uh, this new app from adobe reader which was previously available on windows phone 7 has now come to windows phone 8 and is much better in terms of performance and stability it's got a an easy way of looking at your PDFs. You can either see it in a page-by-page -page view or a continuous view. There's thumbnail views and bookmark support, so it's relatively easy to get around even the larger files. So that kind of completes our news bite, Stephen. I've been talking rather a lot, so I kind of want to hand <laughs> over to you for one of our discussion items this week, uh, which is sleeping screen. So I think perhaps you should explain that because a lot of people listening to this podcast won't have used it on Symbian, which is where it really originated in a, in a big way, at least. It has been seen on other devices, other platforms as well, but it is coming to Windows Phone or at least Lumia devices in due course. Yes, the idea here is that if you have an AMOLED screen, which is basically the, the pixels glow for themselves, they're not relying on a big power-hungry backlight lighting up the entire screen plane and you know the, 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 pixel, the LCD pixels reflecting back that. In an OLED screen or AMOLED screen, the pixels are powered individually effectively. They glow for themselves. But it does mean that if you're only powering up about 100 pixels on the screen, as you would be, for example, if you're just showing the time, uses very little power. So as long as the, the, the operating system itself is optimized for this, you can basically, as Symbian did for the last two or three years, and also on the Mego-powered Nokia N9, um, you can have the clock and date and a few notifications. So, for example, the number of tweets that have come in or the number of emails that have come in, all showing on screen all the time. So you don't even have to, to wave, your, wave your phone or tap the screen or press a button. It's just there. So, for example, in the middle of the night, you look up, and there is the time and the date and any notifications. And with the sleeping screen application in particular on Symbian, the Nokia went one step further and gave you the chance to show little, um, like a dot matrix graphics of you know, pretty owls and na nature scenes and sunrises and sunsets and a various other animations. So lots of fun things you can do once you've got that basic technology in place to display these OLED pictures 
and OLED, OLED information uh, without burdening the battery and burdening the processor too much. And I understand that for the AMOLED screened Nokias in particular, and I, I guess that's the Lumia 928 and the Lumia 925 and the 820 Rave. Yes, um, right. with, the, with the next Windows Phone update, there'll be the, the right hooks in the operating system that this will actually be a reality along with double tap to wake, which is also something that comes in from another platform. That's right. This is actually part of the Lumia Amber update, which we're expecting to see probably in a month or two's time, maybe a little bit longer. We'll see it first on the Lumia 925, which, of course, uh, due out mid-June. I think it's just a nice extra to have because it's certainly something I miss from the Symbian devices, being able to just glance at your phone and have the the time there all the time. Yeah. Uh, some of the extra bits of sleeping screen I'm less bothered by because generally I don't mind unlocking a device to look at it. But there's certainly a, a potential to add more. And, you know, some of the owl graphics, as you mentioned there, were very pretty. But even if we just get the time and the date, I think that's a, a good first step. I suspect this is one of the reasons Nokia has switched to using the AMOLED devices or AMOLED technology, I should say, on their newer devices. Uh, but it will go back to the 820. So people who have had the 820 maybe feel a bit hard done by it. It's one of the less loved, I think, of the Windows Phone 8 device from Nokia so far. Might find a, a reason to love it again. And as you mentioned there, yes, we're also getting this uh, double tap to unlock. That was really first seen on the N9 device. That was the Mego Hot Matten powered uh, device. Again, it's a, it's kind of a bit gimmicky, but it's one of those interactions that just makes a lot of sense once you start using it. And I think of all the updates coming in Amber, uh, there's some stuff in the camera, which I'm also looking forward to seeing. I actually think that will probably make the biggest difference to my day-to-day usage uh, of a Windows phone device, because I know I quite often pull a device out of my pocket and unlock it to look at the time and then uh, put it back in my pocket and have to remember to either lock the screen again to optimise battery life. But a uh, really interesting one there. And I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's a thing that will make a lot of difference when you're selling a phone. But for those who are familiar with the technology, it's one of those things you really miss when you don't have it. One question, of course, is whether the uh, any of this functionality will come to traditional LCD screen devices. I know we did see a few videos of double tap to wait, wake and the always on clock running on a 920. But I suspect this was either just like I'm testing out the software to check it works and putting the right hooks in, or if they do ship that as part of the Amber update for the 920, it will certainly be defaulted to off because there will be a significant battery penalty in having it on. I mean, maybe double tap to wake won't use up too much power, so maybe we might see that on the 920, but uh, just uh, exercise caution and, and note that uh, for truly efficient use for that always on clock, you will need AMOLED. That's absolutely right. I think most would see it, you know, maybe stay on for a five minutes or a separate setting that you, you know, turn the screen off after 30 seconds, turn the, the sleeping screen off after five minutes. Uh, but it's just the nature of the two bits of technology. That, yeah. As you say, the double tap to unwake, that probably will be on all devices, but I think you're right in saying that's actually going to be off by default on all devices because, you know, it's one of those things. It's like uh, the flip to silent mode, which is on a lot of the old devices. There's a few devices not on at the moment, but that's another thing that's coming in actually the Lumia AMP update. It's often off by default, which seems crazy to me because I think it's one of those really handy things. You just flip over the phone when you want to silence an incoming call. But of course, it's you, know, you don't want your phone doing unexpected things. And so by default, more advanced features, I'm definitely in favour of having them turned off. Because after all, if you know what you're doing, you can go and turn them on relatively easily. And you only need to ever do it once. 
yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on. One final point I want to just pick your brains on, Rafe. I mean, I've, I've raved on various podcasts, and including my own phone show, about a stock Android. And for example, Google Now is a particular highlight where it, it shows you things relevant to your current context, you know, the weather and stock prices and travel arrangements and, and tries to pick up people's birthdays. And it brings all the data together in, in card format to present you just what you need to know when you need to know it. And of course, one of the c- core concepts of Windows Phone um, is the fact that you have this um, gl- glance-and-go system whereby the live tiles, in theory, if you set it upright for your own personal needs, show exactly what you need to know. And I'm just looking at my 920 here, and it, it does pretty darn well. Um, so, for example, I've got a live tile showing the current weather, uh, in, and it shows sunny spells, which is more pretty accurate. It's showing my c- upcoming calendar appointments for the current day. That's accurate as well. We've got summary of the usual email, you know, number of emails, number of um, Skype messages waiting, number of application updates waiting. That's nice to have. Um, just looking further down, we've got um, my stock tickers. I've got two stocks I like to keep track of, uh, and it's showing the, the, the current stock price and how much they're up or down for the day. So all of that's in, in a live tile glance and go format, and I think it does pretty well. And to a certain extent, it gets pretty close to what Google are doing with Google now, but coming at it from a different direction. But what I'm curious about, Rafe, maybe to help uh, inspire other listeners to this podcast, just looking at your own Windows phone setup now, presumably on the 720, uh, what have you got in terms of live? What actual live information have you got on your home screen that that, that gives you um, extra information and extra context? Well, like you, I've got sort of the, the standard calendar and email things, as well as the uh, uh, store icon as well, telling me I've got 10 updates ready to be installed. Uh, it's then various ones from Twitter. It's actually the Rory application I'm using at the moment. I'm a big fan of that. I've, of course, got the All About Windows Phone app, which you can download from the Windows Phone store, telling me that I've uh, got five unread stories. Uh, actually, some of them I wrote, so I don't think they're so much unread. <laughs> but uh, I then also actually have a couple of news tiles coming from various sources because I like to keep up to date with the news and the same for weather. And then I've actually got an alarm tile, which is uh, saying got a reminder for uh, later on. Actually, I've then got my photos tile, which is sort of flicking through the highlights of some recent photos. Obviously, that's the favourites. Uh, going further down, I've actually got some tiles for uh, uh, the battery life, also for Discuss, which is the commenting system we use on the site. And then some days to go. It's actually counting down to an upcoming family birthday. So uh, I know what's there. And then also UK rail disruptions is also towards the bottom. That's actually just set up to only show disruptions at my local station. So I can see at a glance before going to the station if a train's likely to be delayed. There's also um, a, a stopwatch application, a couple of uh, other sort of just app shortcut ones, which aren't so much displaying information. But you're right. I'm actually always surprised when I stop and think about it, just how much information is available just on a, a glance and go basis. Um, and I actually think Google now takes a, a very different approach. I mean, for those that don't know, it's effectively looking through your calendar, your email and a few other sources. Um, most particularly important is your search history to try and work out what you might be doing or what you're going to be doing and provide you with relevant information. So, for example, if you've searched for a place, it will kind of offer you driving directions to it and then warn you um, if you know there's traffic conditions on a, a commute you regularly take. And sometimes it can seem a bit like black magic. It's a bit of a, a black box. You don't always know what it's going to produce. <laughs> and it's fair to say if you're a heavy user of Google services, you'll get more out of it because it's got more data to go on. And I'm sort of you know half a foot in the Google camp and half a foot in kind of the Microsoft 
campaign terms and things like Outlook yeah. and the, but I still use Google search a lot. So Google now works well for me on the Android devices, but sometimes I find the, the intelligence a bit frustrating because it gives me information that I don't need and that can take up kind of exactly. valuable screen space. And so on the whole, although it's not always quite so smart, I probably prefer the live tile approach because it gives me the information I want where I expect it to be. <laughs> it, it's, it's a tricky one that because, I mean, I'd love to see having a Google live tile on my Windows phone, given uh, Google's recent attitude to Windows phone and developing applications. I don't really see that happening, no. but it, it would strike me as a fantastic opportunity. You know, if you could have, you know, I, I don't know what you're called Bing now based on your searches or knocking maps able to do intelligent things there and there's clearly a lot of potential there and i think both approaches are equally valid but uh, i will say i find the live tiles on windows phone better than the kind of the widget arrangement on android device in terms of presenting information at a glance they don't always have the same you know functionality in terms of richness but it's an interesting one someone said to me oh it's great i can do everything from my home screen i thought uh, i said yeah that's great and i can see why you like it but it was sort of having to press a fiddly button and then sometimes still having to jump into an application. Whereas for me, the home screen should be about looking at information at a glance as you pick up the device and then maybe put it down again. If I want to do something with it, that be that reading an email or looking at more information at an upcoming appointment or music, I don't actually mind dropping into an application and getting kind of a view that is suited to the screen size and you know easy to control buttons and all that kind of thing. But it's an interesting one. I'm sure we're going to get this topic coming up again. I mean, I also think it ties into notifications. And I think Android, for power users, does notifications very well, that kind of pull-down drawer and being able to see things that have come in. And Windows Phone, uh, Microsoft has said a lot of the time, that's what the you know live tiles are about. But I'm sure you've been frustrated, Steve, by seeing a toast notification go past or your phone beep at you to say something's happened and then not being able to work out quite what it was because the toast notification, that's the notification I should say, yeah. that goes along the top of the screen, disappears and vanishes. And I'd love to be able to go back and see kind of the history of those. And so I think Microsoft probably does need to do some work on the, the notification front. And if, if it had that, I think then people would probably not be casting such envious eyes over android in terms of google now and uh, notifications um as it is uh, for me it doesn't uh, have a lot extra i don't think on a when i'm using the htc one oh yes this is a much better way of doing it i actually miss the kind of the live tiles on windows and it's partly because it's what you get used to but it's partly yeah. also that personal level of control yeah absolutely uh, just uh, for people's edification you mentioned news um news updates and in your live tiles which application are those from there's actually a third party bbc news application which is uh updating uh, uh some news headlines also a guardian uh news application and to balance things out from the right wing i've also got the times <laughs> application uh, that doesn't actually have uh, live tile integration um and i do actually have a couple of others uh, i think it's the cnn one yes just checking that uh so a, a bit of a news junkie. I like having plenty of news. I've also actually got um, two live tiles for weather, um, actually for representing different locations and, and different apps. And one of is a kind of the Met Office app, which it provides first-class data for the UK. Uh, but I'm also using uh, Weatherflow, which is a, a really nice-looking app where you can set it into various kind of themes, one of which is a very plain modern UI style, but I'm actually using the more colourful kind of uh, photo-based uh, style. So, uh, and actually I find I do swap around my live tiles on a not infrequent basis. And so uh, 
you know, the big thing I liked about moving to Windows Zone 8 was losing the gutter down the right-hand side and being able to have the different sizes. Because if I, if I scroll down, I've actually got about four, maybe even five um, screen width, or I should say screen length worth of live tiles, which I suspect is more than a lot of people have. And the ones <laughs> at the bottom tend to be more temporary things. Like I've got a couple of locations pinned for places I've been to recently or I'm going to in the future, uh, along with them. Uh, music that I've been listening to and bits and pieces that you kind of the bookmarking as opposed to the glance and go functionality of live tiles. And uh, that's another thing I do like about that Windows Phone start screen. You can kind of combine the two together. Um, and I actually think this concept of live tiles works at its very best when it's on this mobile device on a smartphone like this. I am yet to be convinced it works quite so well on the desktop, but that's probably because I'm married to my uh, desktop with uh, icons sprinkled across it which would probably cause most people to recoil in horror well your five screens of uh, of, of live tiles make me recoil in horror i mine, mine are less than <laughs> two screens rafe i've got everything i need so it's all about efficiency talking of efficiency um one of my my countdown clock on my life live tile is to the to the race publication of his lumia 720 review so i guess we should just update people as to what's happening with that Yes, I've actually been using it as one of my main devices. And so it's turned into more of a, a long-term review, but I promise it is coming soon. Uh, I just need to sit down, put all my notes together, collect my thoughts and uh, push something out. But I will say that I very much like the 720. Uh, compared to the 920, it is a much lighter device and I haven't really noticed the difference in the screen resolution most of the time. I do occasionally... The camera is also very good, particularly now that summer's arrived here in the UK. It's less of an issue having access to really good low light stuff. So uh, I would recommend the 720 is kind of the best Windows phone device to get if you don't want to pay the full whack for the 920. Um, will my mind change when the 925 comes along? Uh, quite possibly, because that does look like uh, sort of the Lumia 920, but in a design that's more reminiscent of the 720, both in styling, but perhaps more importantly, in terms of weight as well. Uh, and I always said I didn't mind the 920's weight, but having uh, carried the 720 for a while and switching back to the 920 just for a day or two last week, I did think, yeah, I could see what people mean about the weight of this device. So uh, watch this space. It is still coming soon and hopefully coming soon rather than later. <laughs> well, of course, striding along with my Lumi 920 pumping out music while I, while I exercise is actually giving my arms a workout through the sheer weight. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> we must draw this to a close, Rafe. We're way over length. But um, uh, thank you for letting me host. Hopefully I can do it again at some point in the future when Ewan's away. Um, and thank you for being on. Well, thank you, Steve, for doing the hosting. If you've got any feedback, you can let us know via Twitter, Facebook, email, rafe at allaboutwindowsphone.com, or indeed any other way you choose to get hold of us. We always like hearing your feedback. Give us some comments on what you made of Steve as a host, whether we should have him back again in the future, <laughs> or whether you really miss Ewan's uh, unique take on hosting. But until next week, stay safe and please tune in next time. Bye-bye.